This episode is part two of a two-part series. If you missed part one, feel free to go back and listen to episode 11. Welcome to this episode of Courier Conversations. Now here's your hosts, Rudy Gray and Todd Deaton. The second thing I would say is uh, what we have found and, and what is the truth is that if an incident occurs, if a church can show that they've practiced due diligence, that they've put the survivor first, that they've not chosen to circle the wagons in, in some sort of protective mode, but they've done whatever is best in the interest of the survivor, and, and that they contact local law enforcement, and that they can show the steps they've taken in order to prevent an incident like this from occurring. Uh, that, that Liability does not need to be a concern. And so I, I've encouraged Baptists to recognize that we are autonomous, but the greatest things we do outside of the local ministry of a local church happen because we cooperate. In fact, one of the miracles of modern missions is this thing called the cooperative program. The truth is, is that when I send those dollars to International Mission Board, um, I don't send them with demands. I freely cooperate and send those dollars, and I trust Dr. Chip Wood, the president of the IMB, and his leadership to take those dollars and accomplish the mission of the International Mission Board. Do the same thing with the North American Mission Board, proudly support the cooperative program. Of course, those dollars stay here in South Carolina. Even the courier receives opportunities to benefit from that. And so we understand what this is about. And so I I don't foresee our churches pushing back on this, and I hope that at every given opportunity they will clarify to individuals that our pastors— even when we uh, bring this report, even if the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention, a South Carolina Baptist Convention, approve this report, th- there is no authority for us to tell every pastor in the state to do everything they can in this book. But I don't think we—I'm I'm glad we don't have that. I don't think we need it because I think the vast majority of them have their hearts in the right place, and they want to be more faithful. Well, I, I agree with you, and I think— uh... You know, that, that local church is autonomous. It is. But this is not something to push them in a corner or demand they do something. This is saying, this is a resource. This will help you. This will make you healthy. Uh, here's what you can do to further advance the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, that's what I hear you saying that this report is doing. Well, and one of the key differences, I think, in what we've seen here with previous scandals that we've all watched play out in in, 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 in things like the, the American Roman Catholic Church is, is a, you know, even going back to Nashville— uh, summer a year and a half ago, summer of 2021, you know, Southern Baptists from all over the world rose to the occasion and called out the issue on the floor, on ourselves, and put together a task force to go after uh, this, and then pushed against certain individuals and uh, groups in leadership to say, we want anybody who's interviewed to be able to say anything they need to say to make sure that anything that was done incorrectly can be corrected and any future efforts are fully transparent. Uh, I think that's pretty unheard of. For the largest evangelical denomination in the world, Protestant, largest Protestant denomination in the world, to, to call that on themselves is, I think, uh, a point of great confidence for leaders within the convention. This is a defining moment 
but this will not define our future. I think we'll look back and say mistakes were made, but a whole lot of godly women and godly men rose to the occasion. We're a better denomination for it. This was not our denomination's problem. This is a world problem. This is a sin problem. This is the result of an over-sexualized culture. This is a result of a lot of things. But we don't get to stick our head in the sand and pretend as though that our churches automatically become utopias where no one can ever be assaulted or molested or mistreated or harassed. That is not the world we live in. And I think you're saying, too, in this report that uh, a church can ignore this or they can refuse not to do it, but they do so in the light of uh, great evidence that says, wait a minute, you're making a bad decision if you do that. Yeah, and to not ignore it, to be proactive, is not to assume that there are predators in your church. It's not to look over your shoulder at every brother or sister in Christ. It's to say anybody who loves the Lord Jesus, loves our children, loves the precious gift of our ladies, who statistically make up over half of our church population, uh, loves the people who are vulnerable, the elderly, the disabled. Sadly, there are statistics about them being abused. If you, if you love those people, then you will put them in the best possible position to enjoy the fruit of their church in a safe environment. You know, I, um, uh, you, you could say, well, uh, you don't have a right to tell me what to do with my child. But the state of South Carolina has state troopers that will write you a ticket in a heartbeat if you don't put that child in a child seat that is approved and get on and get on the road. So in in reality, I, I recognize and respect the autonomy of a local church. I'm I'm very thankful that I lean heavily on godly men and women who are not a part of Church at the Mill, but ultimately it is my call and the call of the elders around me to guide and direct our church. I'm thankful for that balance and that tension. And so I would never want dictatorial or authoritative power. If I wanted that, I would join another denomination with a different form of ecclesiology. I'm, I'm Baptistic in my theology, and therefore I believe in the free autonomous church. This is really not about theology in regards to our ecclesiology. This is about the theology of loving thy neighbor and, and loving those who are vulnerable and also reclaiming a biblical sexual ethic that rejoices in the gift of sex as it was given to us to be expressed between one man and one woman inside of covenant marriage. And I think that's one of the things we're going to talk about at the state convention. And it was actually brought up by uh, some individuals who were uh, victims. The term, uh, and just to, for your audience to know, I learned this, uh, the term victim is not a, seen as appropriate. They, they prefer the term survivor. Mm -hmm. So they were survivors. And they said, you know, in addition to reacting to the bad stuff, we, and really they called out pastors, and I appreciated the challenge. We need to go to our pulpits and in our small groups and in our curriculum and reclaim the joyous, vibrant, beautiful sexual ethic of the Bible. Um, it's a both end. And I think all this is like a movement to uh, something that, I don't know, maybe it's a culture within the culture, Southern Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our churches haven't been willing to push for. But now when all this stuff comes out, uh, I think they're going to be more than willing to move in that direction. And to say, inspect us, we've got nothing to hide, sure. I think gives this culture that is so against us, this for who we are, uh, that it, it kind of knocks down some doors to the, that kind of culture and, and lets them know, hey, we don't have anything to hide. Yeah, well, far more sexual abuse happens in homes in South Carolina and in other environments than it does in a Southern Baptist church. Mm -hmm. That doesn't belittle it. In other words, we, we don't get to ignore 
what has happened uh, in some leaders' lives and in some contexts in our state. No church does. But it is an opportunity to show them what do these Jesus folks do when there's sin in the camp? What do they do? You, You know, as a former pastor, when I teach on parenting, one of the things I talk to parents about is it is a good thing to confess your sin to your children when you fail your children. It's a good thing to go to them and say, I, I, I was wrong for raising my voice. I was wrong. I wasn't wrong for disciplining you. I was wrong in the way in which I disciplined you. And the reason is, is that one, it shows them that you're a sinner. And two, it gives them a model of how to deal with their own sin when they sin. And, and, and so as a church, uh, this is a conversation. It's not that we, uh, it's not that we must do this to save face. We must do this because of our understanding of sin and what Christ has called us to. And you're right. It is an opportunity to show what integrity is. Because the good news is is that the world's answer would be just more rules and regulations. But we know that no matter how many rules, how many regulations, how many stipulations, how many policies are in place, you cannot fix a broken heart with outward behavioral modification. You need a new heart. And so the heart of the gospel is we want the rules, the regulations, the stipulations, the policies, and the practices to earn the right to tell you about our Savior who will change you from the inside so that I'm glad to submit to those rules and regulations, policies, and procedures because I want what he's given to me to be experienced in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, so much stronger when we say uh, this is the way we walk. We have Jesus in our life, and this is the kind of sexual ethic we're going to have because of him. That's exactly right. Not because we've been slapped on the wrist or somebody got caught, because we want to celebrate what God has given us in this. And and you cannot disconnect this issue from the sexual revolution, uh, the homosexual revolution, and now the transgender, transsexual revolution— and a culture that worships at the altar of sex. The problem with that is is that by default, they are proving uh, that sex is not a good replacement for God because it cannot deliver on what you're asking it to deliver. And if, if it did, if experimentation, uh, if blowing through moral boundaries did really fulfill people, then at some point they would be satisfied. But we see this insatiable appetite for more experimentation, more terminology, more gender um, uh, uh, changes or modifications. And it's proving that people are asking of sex what sex cannot deliver. When you know the Lord, then like every other area of your life, your life emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, uh, your life sexually is in the lane God has for you. And in that lane, it's fulfilling, it brings children into the home, it's a blessing, it protects your marriage, it affirms your wife, it affirms the husband, it's a gift. When it gets out of that, it destroys everything in its path. And you just described the positive side of that, and you, and you did the negative as well, but I think the negative is also illustrated in this recent upsurge of uh, monkeypox. And yeah. we did some research on that, and uh, uh, the uh, lady who's the chairman of the Center for Disease Control she said, uh, this is transmitted through men having sex with men. Mm-hmm. And people didn't like that. And they mm-hmm. said, well, what about children? There were two children that had developed monkeypox. And so she said, we traced that down, and this comes from that environment mm-hmm. of men having sex with men. Yeah. But one of the things that was said by somebody in the report, one of the reports, was 
it's not going to do any good to say don't have sex because they're going to do it anyway, mm-hmm. regardless of what you say. Right. And I think the reason for that, and comment on it if you would, is because they are going on such a path and it has such a control over them, it doesn't matter what outside rules or outside cautions they have, right. they're going to do it anyway. Well, it, I think it goes back to the, the great dilemma of humanity that only the gospel can only the gospel can answer. When you rob a society of its God, when you dethrone God, and we are nothing more than highly evolved animals in a cosmic experiment that began with the Big Bang billions of years ago, because this is the predominant worldview. We're highly evolved animals. So, so then you begin to treat human beings like animals. You don't suggest that there can't be a change inwardly. You simply react to outward behavior. And whenever a new behavior emerges, there's no moral ground left to call it right or wrong. You must just classify it as different. And unfortunately, that robs people of their humanity and their God-given worth. And so all of this, all of this is linked together. And that community wants the church to fail, that community at its core, whether or not they realize it, when you, when you unpack Paul's teachings in Rome, to be unreconciled from God is to be an enemy of God. And so whether or not it's cognizant or it's unknown, there is this desire to dethrone the church, to dethrone God from the Lord of our lives. And so the temptation for us is to fold our arms and say, well, that, that's the problems of the world. But when sin comes into the camp, uh, it's not the problem of the world anymore. Well, and we have to live in this culture. We may not be of that culture, but we still have to live in it. And not only that, I want my friends and neighbors who may not know the Lord Jesus or may not have any interest in knowing the Lord Jesus to know that if they send their daughter to Bible school, they can trust us with that precious precious, valuable creation of God. And so we want to show them the due diligence, but we also have to connect it to, you know, the why. I'm not, I'm not angry at the transgender community. I'm not, I have no anger or hate toward the homosexual uh, community. I'm, I'm, so what, what I, I don't know what my life would be like had I not been exposed to the gospel at an early age and been given examples of imperfect people who loved the Lord Jesus and the Lordship of Christ was on display. I had a reference point. Many people don't. And so if we're going to give our churches the best possible chance to be that reference point for somebody, we need to get the basics right. Background checks, more than two two volunteers or more in rooms, you know, following CDC guidelines for diaper changing, making sure we're careful who we put in charge of our young men and young women in student ministry, simple rules about not being in vehicles or closets or small classrooms alone with an individual at any point in any time, just basic practices so that if there ever is an incident, uh, the integrity of what we're doing not only has proven that this incident uh, d- did not happen or that if an incident does happen, uh, w- we're putting people in the best possible position to respond by saying this doesn't line up with our values and we're ready to uh, address it. Mm-hmm. And then to say to survivors, you're not the enemy. The survivor community is especially hurt when they have a track record of some, not all, 
churches spending more energy preserving the outward appearance of the church in the name of protecting their witness in the community and less energy in helping the survivor get the help and care that he or she needs and making sure to the fullest extent of the law justice is done. My argument is you can do both. I want to be positioned as a leader to say I want to do everything in my power for a survivor and I want to do everything in my power to be proactive in protecting my church and I want justice if something is taking place. Sure. And those things go together. I mean, I don't Absolutely. see those separate things. Well, look, it's been a delight. It's a joy to have you with us. Well, thank you. A man that's just got so many answers, full of intelligence. And I want to tell you something that I've never told you before, but when I was at Roebuck and you came over there, one lady, after we left, she had called us up and she said she went to hear you preach. And she said, you know what? He preaches a lot like you. There you go. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I've if, always wondered how things have worked for so long. Now I know, right? I don't know if she was uh, <laughs> insulting you or praising me. I don't know what was going on. I take it as a compliment, Rudy. <laughs> but anyway, thank you, DJ, for taking sure. the time to be with us. We'll be praying for you and hope things go the way they ought to go this year at the convention. Thank you. I have confidence they will. God bless you. Thank you. We're glad you joined us for Courier Conversations where we are informing and inspiring South Carolina Baptists and beyond. For more information about these topics and more, subscribe to our e-edition or go to our website at baptistcourier.com. The Courier is located in Greenville, South Carolina as a multimedia ministry partner of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. To comment about today's podcast, email us at conversations at baptistcourier.com. This podcast produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions.